1: there was ever a minister who preached hell so hot that you were afraid to go there, and heaven so beautiful and wonderful that you wanted to go there, it was Stanley Kendall. This sermon was preached in 1977
2: at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida, and he titles it, The Lord's Love Slave.
1: You'll have to listen closely because it's an old cassette. But I know you'll enjoy this wonderful classic.
0: If
2: you have your Bible to New Testament this morning, turn with me to the Gospel according to St. Luke, please, the 17th chapter. I began the reading in the seventh verse. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. May we bow our heads in prayer, please. Father Paul West, will you stand and pray for me, please? Praise God.
0: Oh.
2: I like to think with you this morning from this passage on the Lord's love slave. The Lord love slain. We're standing between two great eternities, the eternity of the past, back in that far dim, distant past, where in the council chambers of eternity, God revealed his great purpose for man, and Jesus Christ became the Lamb, slain from before the foundation of the world. God's great purpose has never altered. He's never changed. It never will, for He's an unchanging God. The great purpose of God for man is that we might be holy and in love before Him without blame. Brother, what a standard. And in the far distant future out there of the eternity of the tomorrow. You and I get a glimpse and a vision in the raptured bride, in the great divine triumph of this so great a salvation as he reveals to us this glorious, wonderful fulfillment of the purpose, the rapture of the true bride of God, saints arrayed in righteousness with glorified bodies. and We see it. But down here between those two great eternities and in our life as we face this, you and I are walking this same course that others have walked and proving to God and proving to our fellow man and proving to three worlds whether we're going to take this way of the cross or whether we refuse. Now to those who do not know this way, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. To those of us who are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. And the final deciding factor as to what you're going to do with this great, wonderful, glorious life that God has given you and I is to what consideration we put and what value we put upon the cross. The blood the crucified yet risen Savior. Is it foolishness with you? Is it folly to you? Is it too strict? Is it too straight? Is it too narrow? Is it too separated? Does it crowd you in and cramp you in? Or is it everything to you this morning? Really, where does the cross stand in your life? Would you dare stand to your feet and put your left hand on your heart and raise your right hand toward heaven and call God to witness, your family and your friends to witness that you live a cross-fastened life. I'm not talking about two trips to an altar this morning. I'm not talking about some little silly, shilly, shallow profession saved and sanctified. I'm talking about what this old Bible teaches is this so great a salvation. After the Jews were the stumbling block, and to the Greeks it was foolishness. To those of us who have ever been brought into a living vital contact and the power of the Holy Ghost has revealed and unveiled the meaning of Calvary and has come into our heart to bring the depths of that great and glorious expression of eternal life and has set us our faces like a flint toward that holy city to us it's the power of God under salvation Amen. hallelujah Amen. the Bible gives us a few descriptions of this blessed Savior behold the man the man he was God but he was man he was human but he was divine behold the the man. What's he saying this for? That you and I might see what God's going to require for you and I to have eternal life. There was no way back for Jesus to the right hand of the Father and to the glory throne of heaven except by the way that he lived as a man down here in the expression of his life. He'd have never made it back if he'd have lived in any other way, revealed any other spirit, manifested any other attitude, taken any other walk. He'd have never made it back. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Behold your king. Is he your king this morning? Are you saying, we'll not have this man to rule over us. We'll not take this way of no place to lay our head. No, sir, of no reputation. We'll not take this way of being ostracized and isolated and lonely. We'll not take this way of being rejected by the popular crowd and the popular church. We'll not not have him rule over us. We'll find some other way. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He implies by that There never was before and there never will be after another Lamb of God nor another sacrifice made for sin. If you reject Him, you reject the way of eternal life forever. If you despise Him and refuse to have Him reign over you, then you're a doomed soul to be ruled and reigned over by Satan. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Those are simply word pictures of that blessed Savior. Now there are many words that are used to describe God's children in the Bible. Some of them are, use the word children. Some of the times they use the word friend. Sometimes the word disciple or apostle. Sometimes servant. And in the Old Testament there are two types of servants. The hired servant and the bond servant and in the new testament where this is used and paul refers to himself as a servant of the lord peter refers to himself as a servant of the lord jesus christ they use the term that means bond servant and the only bond there is is the bond of love that love bond that holds the soul to the blessed Savior. And it's in that relationship this morning that we'd like to deal with the passage of Scripture we've read and use it as a lesson in this hour. Only ones who are willing to look straight and long at Calvary and let the meaning of Calvary enter into their life and into their heart will ever find themselves willing to totally and absolutely commit themselves to this life. And it's only as you look long and earnestly at Calvary and the humility of the Savior, that humble life, that long-suffering life, that patient one, that forgiving one, that loving one, that one who life meant nothing when he could lay it down for others. And it's only as we live in the shadow of that cross and let the Holy Spirit reveal the meaning and breathe into us the spirit of that one who hung there that you and I find ourselves ever willing to live this life. As the Father sent me into the world, even so send I you. And as his feet left this old earth, and he said back to them in the last statement, Go ye to Jerusalem, and tarry until ye be endued with power from on high. You shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you. Then shall you be witnesses unto me, not of me, Not for me, but unto me. Your life shall reveal me again. The Holy Ghost will transform the very spirit of your nature and transform the very being of you as a man or a woman into a likeness of mine own image. And you shall be witnesses unto me. This was what man was when he was created in the likeness of God in his own image. He was created as the love slave or the bond servant of God the Father, and the fall, when the Holy Spirit had to take his leave from those human temples, the fall is exactly what took place. That life, that relationship, that likeness of God as a bond servant to God Almighty was erased or effaced. Let me say rather, effaced from man's nature, and he went out to offer a life of selfishness and give in to the old carnal disposition which is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be it's a law unto itself this love slave this love service and when you and I face the thought of this you and I ought to be willing to do it for he the blessed son of God Came down to earth to demonstrate to you and I that he was willing to become the great bond servant. The great bond servant. To do the Father's will, to serve mankind, and to lay out his life in any way that God required. Oh, thank God. And he revealed to you and I what eternal life was. And what the nature of god was and what the humble spirit of god was as we look upon him and see him in the demonstration of a life of a love slave wonderful wonderful jesus and being found in likeness as a man he humbled himself even unto death yea the death of the cross wherefore god has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. And if you drop back a little farther into that great scripture in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the likeness of man, the form of a servant, of a bond servant. Oh, not to be hard there's a vast difference with a hard servant and a bond servant a hard servant works for pay what do you pay me how much you give me what will I get out of this who's going to take care of me when I get a little older how's this going to promote me and don't I have any rights in this thing you and I do not have any more rights in this than Jesus Christ had a right to his own Selfish will or selfish power as a human being if he'd allowed sin to rule in his heart and his life. No right and no rights to appeal. Your and my relationship to God is revealed by our relationship to our fellow men. What kind of service do I offer? Humanity in this hour? Is it a life of a love slave, the life of a bond servant? Am I serving divine love to them? Or do I find myself with harshness, bitterness, antagonisms, demanding my rights in my place, demanding that they listen to me, demanding that I have a certain thing here to do? Does Jesus Christ see in me? Does humanity see in me and in you this morning, that stiff, stubborn, selfish will that demands our own rights and refuses to live humble and as a love servant to lost humanity. I believe this. I could not back it up or ask by Scripture, but I believe this, that God judges and God sees And God finally rewards in the end the true relationship of my life and the final destiny of my soul as by how he sees himself revealed in serving lost humanity. And you and I do not serve God any more completely than what we serve lost humanity. Amen. We kid ourselves when we think we're Christians, and we jump and hoop and holler, and we profess and we carry on and we quote scripture and we do many other things. But out there, a lost and a dying world is a million miles from us, and there's no concern or no interest, and we don't know what it is to give a life of love service to them. The essence of my life and the essence of your life is revealed by what our affections are set upon if you want to know if i want to know my relationship to god and my relationship to heaven and my relationship to a lost world i can easily and soon and so can you find out what is my affection set on and what are the affections of my heart is it a delight in god is it a complete submergence of our life in a life of divine love? Is it a love for lost souls and a love for lost humanity and a love to live in the cross and a love for sacrifice and self-denial and for suffering for others? Or do I find myself with my heart affection set, rule myself, and govern by comforts and ease and overshadowed by selfishness? That's what he means when he says man looks upon the outside. Here's somebody acts like they're a Christian and you and I have to take them at their word. But God looks into the heart. God looks at the heart and he sees the affections are not there. And it's merely a silly, shallow cover-up. For the affections of the heart are not that of a loved slave. Let me read for you this morning Jonathan Edwards I claim no right to myself no right to this understanding this will these affections that are in me neither do I have any right to this body or its members no right to this tongue to these hands to these feet to these ears or to these eyes that's biblical I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He had no greater appeal to make. The mercies of God, that you present your body a living, sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable or your righteous, are the only service God will accept. I have given myself clear away and not retained anything of my own. I have been to God this morning and told him I have given myself wholly to him. I have given every power so that for the future I claim no right to myself in any respect. I have expressly promised him for by his grace I will not fail. I take him as my whole portion and felicity looking upon nothing else as any part of my happiness. His law is the constant rule for my obedience. I will fight with all my might against the world, the flesh, and the devil to the end of my life. I will adhere to the faith of the gospel, however hazardous and difficult the profession and practice of it may be. I receive the blessed spirit as my teacher, sanctifier, and only comforter, and cherish all monitions to enlighten, purify, confirm, comfort, and assist me. This I have done. I pray God for the sake of others to look upon me as a self-committed one, and receive me as his own henceforth i am not to act in any respect as my own i shall act as my own if i ever make use of any of my powers to do anything that is not to the glory of god or to fail to make the glory of him my whole and entire business if i murmur in the least at affliction if i am in any way uncharitable if i revenge my own case if i do anything purely to please myself or omit anything because it is a great denial. If I trust to myself, if I take any praise for any good which Christ does by me, or if I am in any way proud, I shall act as my own and not God's. Oh, there's very few people that go the death route to the utter absolute crucifixion of this old carnal Selfish, proud, haughty, self. Seldom that they ever go to the limit of this. Let's try to break this passage down maybe in three or four thoughts this morning. Very striking picture here of one who is a bond servant, a love slave. First... He was willing to have anything and all things piled upon him and expect no pay. No pay. Brother, some people in the church and the ministry on down, it don't make any difference what they do. They've got to be paid for it. They've got to have pay for it. They've got to know where it's coming from. Missionaries go to the mission field. They've got to know they've got support. They've got to know they've got a place to live. They've got to know they've got everything set up. They've got to know that they've even got return money in so they can get back when they want to run. They've got to know it. Yes, sir. How different from those rugged old saints And those rugged old men and women of God whose eyes flashed fire, whose faces shone, who was not afraid to preach against sin, modern sin and popular sin and every other thing, who were not afraid to preach a death, a carnality, not afraid to preach a burning, blistering, scorching, damning hell and a final eternity, who was not afraid of the poor house nor afraid of losing their little popularity nor the little stuff. Thank God for those old timers who were dedicated to God and committed to God who blazed a trail and spread godliness across this land and brought revival and established camp hallelujah i wonder god we can see today a real death route to many many people and god come forth in his glory and his power and take very long to find out whether a person's dead or not just touch them as brother bobby said i'm so glad i've heard the stories they have seen it demonstrated here in Brother Frederick dead dead some of you may not have liked his preaching too much and some of you may not have backed him too well and some of you may have fought him right here on Hope Sound I don't know and some of you may have resisted and drawn back but thank God the glorious gospel the glorious truth that he preached to you and the glorious experience that he testified of is working in this house. Dead. Dead. To every whim and every notion, every face and every idea, every comfort, thank God that might be afforded to the natural man. Dead to it and alive under God with no rights left and no questions to ask. Praise God, I'm at your disposal, Lord Jesus. Do whatever you will. Can't you get a picture of this fellow, this bond servant who'd walked up to the door? He'd driven the all into his ear, into one of his door casings there. That's a picture of the bond servant in the Old Testament. When that slave has come to the year of jubilee and of freedom, he says, I don't want to leave. I couldn't find life anyplace else. I want to serve you. My life is yours. Take my life, Thy God. And He takes that individual and bores His ear. Did you ever read back in one of my and Psalm, "Thine ear hast Thou bored, or opened, or pierced"? A very picture of the bond servant of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yes, sir. Oh. And there is that bond servant with love to his master. He's become a part of that master's family. He's become a responsibility of that man he gave himself to. He's a part of his inheritance. And that master has become responsible for all of his life. And that man has no rights left there'll never be another year of jubilee as far as the human's concerned there'll never be another right to leave he's a bond servant and he has no desire to leave he's in love with that master and all he desires is to serve him oh so, let me illustrate what i mean by this and i'm using an illustration from a book over on the slave markets of egypt a number of years ago a slave boy being sold and an auctioneer had auctioned off a good number of other slaves and those buyers were there and interest was keen and they were paying good prices. And there was a young lad, perhaps 17 years of age, strong and square-shouldered, the picture of health. And when he realized it was his time, they said he'd lunged against those chains and worked himself up to such a froth that foam was running down his mouth. And he was uttering language that was not fit to be uttered in a mixed crowd, angry and furious at the thought to be sold as a slave and to be taken from family and loved ones in and locality and there to serve somebody else. And when they, masters of him, brought him up and put him on the auction block, he lunged against those chains with such fury until people would fall back, afraid that they might break and that he might get to them. And walking into that crowd of buyers, that day was an Englishman, shoved his hat back on his head a little bit and threw the old coat across his shoulder, looked at that young man, and sized him up and thought of what he was being sold for and what it would mean and he began to bid and when that Englishman would bid and he realized he was a foreigner he would lunge out at him and dash at him and curse him and that Englishman just stood there and bid his hat shoved back a little farther and finally he outbid all the others they said the clerks over there sir step over and pay for your property and he stepped over and paid him and they said to him if you got some help you can see what this boy is and you can see the fury of his disposition you need somebody to help you to handle him he said he's my property I bought him and I paid for him and he's mine turn him loose I'll take care of him And that boy stood there at the thought of just one man Against him, and he sized him up, and when they unfastened the last chain, he said, "Son, I bought you, and I might let you go. I bought your freedom. I've given you deliverance. Did it ever dawn upon you that that's what that great bond servant Jesus Christ did, as he moved out to the great slave market of the world and the flesh and the devil and sin?" and stood there and bid for you and I and said if you'll come if you'll believe me if you'll receive me I'll give you freedom thank God they'll have no right to entrain you to ensnare you to imprison you they'll have no right to, to you at all what do you think that young man did jumped up and down hooped and hollered and ran off to the beach or the fishing pier no oh, sir they said that young man fell at his feet and said to him sir I may be free but my freedom means nothing else than I want to go with you and travel with you and serve you and work for you as long as I have strength and life oh a bond servant that's been brought to Calvary eyes open and ears unstopped and hearts unlocked And the Holy Ghost envisioned into that soul and revealed to them the price that was paid. And they realized, like Paul of old, I'm a debtor. What's Paul saying in those words? He's saying, I owe my life to lost humanity. I owe it to a lost world to give unto them and reveal unto them and preach unto them and witness unto them the glory of what Christ has done for me. And there's only one way for me to pay that debt, and that's for me to give my life fully and completely. Do you know this morning, professor, how religion you've given yourself wholeheartedly does not want to there? Do you know it, or are you tied down by something else? You got a few little odd jobs on the side. You're a preacher, but you're something else. You're a missionary, but you're something else. You're a Sunday school teacher, but you're something else. You're a local preacher, but you're something else on the side God doesn't fully have your heart out there in the labor of God and for a lost world it's very scant and a very little of your life you lay down upon the altar of sacrifice Madame Guyon that great old saint didn't have the opportunity and the privilege reared in Romanism but when she found Jesus Christ And her family turned against her and her husband forsook her and her mother-in-law hated and despised and fought her and turned her children against her and locked her up in prison. Oh, she wasn't a hard servant. She wasn't murmuring and complaining and kicking. No, sir, she was God's. And then finally under a deeper order from her husband and her mother-in-law into the inner prison and down to the dungeon and no visitors and nobody allowed the comfort and the scantest rations that the prison could afford. Did you ever read in a book a little bird and I shut in from fields of air. She was still human. She realized the mother's care and concern She realized what it was to be forsaken by a husband she'd given her life to at a marriage altar, children she'd suckered and reared and cared for, a mother-in-law that she'd befriended and been kind to. A little bird and I shut in from fields of air, but here all day I sit and sing to him who placed me there. She wasn't cantankerous and hateful and worked up an agitation and fret and stew and animosity in her heart, taught her mother in law and taught her husband and toward taught children, toward taught the laws. No, sir. God placed me here. I'm his and I'm at his disposal. If he wants me here, and blessed be his name, he'll be here with me. Oh, praise God. One that can just have all things piled on them. Can't you see that man? Break that field today. Plow it then hair it down and drag it so it doesn't become cloudy and hard you people who work in sand don't know anything about it. those kind of terminologies probably. and after he'd fought out there all day and followed an old yoke of or span of mules or whatever they were plowing with and he'd stumbled that old plow had kicked him in the ribs and again it had brewed his hand and his hand was tired there it was his face caked with dirt and He'd had a little lunch to eat for the noon hour. He'd fed the animals that he was working, tired and weary. sun about to set in the evening, his legs so tired, his body weary, caked in for the dust of the day. And he'd done it all for him. And then to come in, put the animals away and feed them and bed them and water them, And slip to the house with an anticipation i'll be home i'll get to bathe and clean up a little bit and i'll get to be with my family and the master said hurry up you stayed out a little bit late anyway hurry up and get my meal and serve me piled on any Mormon complaining in your heart or my heart You ever read in God's Word what it says, do all things without murmuring or complaining? You may be the children of God. You may be proven to be the child of God in love with God that there's no murmuring or complaining at whatever He allowed to come or whatever He permitted to befall you or whatever task He allowed or whatever men did to you or how put it upon you? jesus christ gave himself into the hands of a loving father and turned himself over to the malice of men and about the last breath that ever came of it father forgive them forgive that man who spit on me forgive that man who drove the thorns down forgive that individual who cursed me and belittled me forgive that one who shut out the lips and that jerked the hair from us forgive that man forgive those soldiers who drove the nails forgive them i want them in heaven with Me. pile it on but there's nothing comes forth but love for I'm serving him who knows what he's doing praise God and how to lead me and he has no other way to get me in than by the way of divine love Samuel Ogun Brangle that great old saint of the salvation army that powerful evangelist of the yesterday's after he'd given his life early methodism and then transferred to the salvation army when he felt the old methodist church was not affording an offering and giving and producing what he felt like god in his heart required and demanded that a man give in seeking lost souls i don't have time to go into his schooling in the salvation army and how the enemy fought but at times brick batted his, his face crushed in on one occasion and lay in a coma there other times persecuted and many, many years separated from his wife and his loved ones and as he grew older he said he looked forward to the day when perhaps God would let him take it just a little easier and the time came when he felt clear to just ease up on some of his evangelistic campaign and finally beyond that when his health was pretty well gone and he was quite feeble and frail he said I look forward to the time and I thought my little cottage, my wife, that has been so faithful so gracious, so generous so kind, so understanding and he said we live like that to enjoy each other and enjoy the little cottage for several months and then he said suddenly she was taken seriously ill and he said we went through that and I suffered with her in pain and anguish and heartache as I sat by her bedside and saw nourished back and brought back to health, and we took up again the life of being with each other a life of a little expression of understanding and time together as we served god and then he said suddenly i was struck with severe pain and a dreadful operation and my family put me into the hospital and i went through the operation laid between life and death And he said, when I was beginning to get just a little bit better, one of the children walked into my room one morning and I saw from the countenance something was wrong. And I said, what's wrong? Is it some bad news from my case? And they said, oh no, daddy, not that. And he said, is something wrong at home? And they said, well, really, daddy, not really wrong at home. Well, he said, tell me what it is. He said, I waited, and they said, we just rushed Mother to the hospital. She's lying at the point of death. He said, I lay there after they went out, and I thought, oh, God, don't you care how deep you crush me? Don't you care how much you break me? Doesn't it matter the pain and the pangs of my heart? And then he said, the comfort wherewith he comforted us. And the Holy Ghost settled down on my soul. And I said, oh God, forgive me. And he said, two days later, they walked into my room and said, daddy, she's dead. And I couldn't have gotten up. I couldn't go see her when she was a so sick. I couldn't make no arrangements for the funeral. I couldn't attend the funeral. And I said, take her and bury her children. I can't go. And again, he said, leg there under that throb and heartbreak and agony with every plan that we had blown aside and torn from us. He said the Holy Spirit came down and settled in that hospital room with such a sweetness. Oh, such a peace, such a calm, such an assurance. A man that had died out to all rights. All right to himself. And all rights to appeal. And God the Father could pile anything and everything on him that God the Father wanted to or did. Oh, long temper that rises up in animosity, that questions God and charges God. Do you know this? God bless her heart. I don't need to finish this if others feel like they ought to come. I never did have the preachers in. It's up to you. God may not be speaking in a little while. this I don't feel I should go on let me illustrate this I had the privilege of pastoring several years ago one of these rich rare saints you don't pastor too many of them they're just not out there been saved from all sin and sanctified, holy and matured in this wonderful grace of divine love until they manifest the spirit of Christ. You just don't pass too many of them. After she'd passed away, teaching the young married people's class, several of them said, would the God we had the spirit and could die the death that sister so-and-so died. I said, bless God you can if you pay the price and get the experience. At the close of that class, several of them came around and said, Brother Kendall, you just didn't know her. You've only been here a few months, and you didn't have the privilege to know her like we did. They said we saw her mistreated by a husband that was one of the most rude, vulgar, vile men that ever walked. Abused and mistreated and lived a double life against her. His body diseased, his body down to the lowest dregs of sin. And then finally walked off and left her and left her alone. And they were a poor family. Said we watched her, never a murmur nor a complaint. After several years of that life alone, somebody said to her, Do you know that your husband is in the isolation ward of the general hospital of the city? Too foul, too diseased, too dangerous to be around him she said my husband they said your husband she went to the neighbors and told said to them I don't have the money for a taxi, and they didn't have a car she said could I borrow till I'm able to pay you back and they said sure you can sister and she hired a taxi and drove to the general hospital and took her marriage license with her laid them down to identify herself and said, the man you have in your isolation ward, that terrible disease man is my husband and the father of my children. I want him. Oh, they said, lady, you don't want him. You don't want him. With that body condition he's got, and with that disease, you don't want him. You couldn't afford to have him in your home. She said, he's my husband and we took the sacred vows until death do us part. That's more than some of you have ever stayed up to. You've run back to mommy about, I don't know how many times already. Poor little silly mommy's baby. Yes, sir. Well, they said if you wouldn't see us and you've identified yourself and they called one of the workers there and took a wheelchair, wheeled him out to the taxi put him into the taxi, and she took him home. They said, Brother Kendall, when he got home and she laid him down in one of the clean, neat beds of the little home, he said, Mom, how could you do this? How could you do this? When I treated you like I have?" she said, I love you as Christ loved you, Daddy. And I love you in Christ, dead. And I want you for God and for heaven. I want you to be saved. Ministered to him and cared for him, fed him and bathed him and took care of him there for two years and a little longer, they said. Never wavered, never faltered, paid his doctor bills and paid his medicine bills and took care of him and led him to God. They said, Brother Kendall, When we buried him that day, she stood at the head of the grave when he was Lord and shouted the praises of God that God had given her him for a husband and God had saved him and brought him home and now he'd taken him home to heaven. Oh father that one that wrongs you a little bit how far you want to be from them and what you've said and how you've cut that lice and oh great god you don't know anything about loving your enemies all you know is it's written in the bible but you don't know it in your own heart i want to ask you do you really love your enemies this morning or is it just a passage of scripture they said brother kendall more than that the youngest son she had the only means she had for a little support One night in one of the hell holes of the city, a boy shot him down in cold-blooded murder. And they arrested the boy, sent word to her, her boy was dead. She took him and buried him. A few days later, the mother of that other boy that had killed him came and sat down and said to her, I know it's an awful thing, what's happened. And I don't know what kind of charges you're gonna bring, but she said, If there'd be anything we could do, we'd put you in a different house. You have such a poor place to live. We'd give you a weekly salary. You evidently don't have much income. If you just wouldn't press charges against our boy and make demands and get a lawyer and prosecute this to the limit. She went on with all of her offers. And that dear sister said, Mother... Two wrongs would never make a right, and I've learned a long time ago to go the second mile and to turn the other cheek. I wouldn't want to see your son have to suffer life imprisonment. I wouldn't want to see your son sent to the death cell. I wouldn't want to. She said you wouldn't. Why, she said no. Because my boy is gone. I wouldn't want to wish it on you as a mother to have a broken heart and to live in grief and sorrow and heartache. I wouldn't want to wish it on you. She said, then, when can we begin to do all these things and take care of you? She said, you can't begin. You can't begin. I'm not for sale. And if I had those things you talk about, I might lose out in my soul. I am God. God. It's not a fine house, and it's not comfort, and it's not the luxury, and it's not plenty of money. It's not that. I have God, and he satisfies my soul, and I want you for God, and I want your boy for God. I want to help you unto God to have eternal life, though my boy's day That woman walked out of that house, said to her friends, I never saw anybody like her. I never saw anybody I didn't want to find home. I never saw anybody that didn't want a weekly income. I never saw anybody that loved somebody that had killed their own boy. I never saw anybody that didn't have revenge in her heart when they had a right for revenge. I never saw anybody that didn't want to make somebody else suffer, but rather suffer herself. I never saw anybody that would return good for evil. Oh, I say they're few and far between. But there's no other way to heaven and there's no other way through the gates of pearl and there's no other way to make the rapture and there's no other way to walk the streets of glory and there's no other life that can be lived that will please God. It's Christ in you the hope of glory. (sighs) Said she never missed the the privileged day of this at the jail as though it was her own boy. She baked cookies She fried pies, she fixed things old and walking with a cane and almost blind. They said, Brother Kendall, she'd make her way to that county jail. They'd know who she wanted to see. They'd give her a pass and send her up to that room, to that cell to visit. And she'd stand there before that cell, look into the face of that boy that had murdered her own son and tell him how she loved him and how she forgave him. And how she didn't want him to suffer. And how she was praying for him as it was her own boy. And how she wanted to have a home in heaven. She didn't want it to in the retaliation. No, sir, it was God. It was God. said she didn't stop, Brother Kendra, until she led that whole family to God. Oh. I just ask you this morning, do you have it? Or do you just profess it? Do you have it or do you just profess it? You say, I've tried. You say, I don't believe you can attain to that. I do. And I'm through with this illustration. Over in one of the great cathedrals in London a number of years ago, one of our noted organists, whether you can watch them with their strut, Oh my god all the pride gone out of your heart is it gone out of my heart all the selfishness gone there's ever taint of everything that's rooted in carnality and sin gone from my heart is ever speck of the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life taken from our does god see I'm clean. I'm pure. Does God see you pure? He that hath this hope in him purifyeth himself, even as he is pure. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that boy would play that great organ. That audience would listen to that in wonderment. And one day after the great service, an old gentleman stood there at that organ booth. It was locked, and he couldn't get in. And finally, the young organist came around and said, "What are you standing up here around the organ booth for?" He said, "I was admiring that great organ." He said, "I guess you'd like to play it." Well, he said, "I'd like to get my fingers on it." Well, he said, "They've given me the key to the booth, and they told me to take care of it, and I'm taking care of it. Nobody else can play that organ but me. It's my responsibility, and I'm authorized. You just as well go on, old man." And the old gentleman stood there. Finally the rector saw them standing there and he walked up and asked what it was and the young man told him. He said, son, I'll give you permission to let that dear old gentleman in. Let him finger across your organ. He's not going to hurt it. He won't do any damage and it won't be breaking any rules or law. I give his authority and rather reluctantly, he reached in and got the key and with disgust in his heart opened it and said to him be careful what you do to it and I'd rather you wouldn't change all the stops and I'd rather you wouldn't just pull out the different pipes there I've got it set like I want it for this evening he said son I promise you I do no damage to that great organ I love it too and I love organ music and they said he said down. And began to change those stops and clear those pipes and open up those receptacles there and set his fingers upon that thing. The crowd had gone, but when he began to play, the crowd began to return and the doors opened and they came till there was hardly standing room. And he made that old organ sing as an angel, cry like a baby, sob in its beauty. Come forth in its glory until those rafters in the walls seemed to reverberate and vibrate with the echoes and the power that was there. That young man stood back, listened to that. And finally, when the old gentleman quit, he walked up to him and said to him, Who are you? He said, My name is Mendelssohn. I made that organ, and I knew you wasn't getting out of it what it could breathe, what it was and what was in it and i wanted to play it i want to say to you this morning <laughs> without god you're not getting out of life what god wants you to have you're not bringing forth the fruit god wants you to bring forth it you're not displaying the spirit and you do not have the joy and the hope of eternal life if you just let Jesus restore you and remake you. And what is that restoration to bring you back to a life of utter abnegation of yourself and total restoration to the likeness of God's image? Oh, praise God. With every head bowed and every eye closed.
0: I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been- That has been passed. I don't want to lose